This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Hans in the Wishing Box from Danish folklore. And you'll see that, no matter how good a deal a mythological creature is making you on a magic box, it's probably not worth your children. The creature this time is a phantom washerwoman who just needs a little help washing her clothes. Forever. This is Myths and Legends, episode 329, Out of the Box. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, it's a fairy tale from Denmark. Some hints put us in the early modern period, but time frame doesn't really matter. Basically, we're in a land of magic and wonder, and and also dads making terrible deals for wish boxes. What? Little Hans heard his mother say to his father. Even at eight, he knew where this conversation was going. He got up and walked out the back door. Oh my gosh, I knew you would be mad about this. The door muffled but didn't eliminate the father's voice. You want to trade our daughters for a magical wishing box. What part of you thought I would be okay with that? The wife screamed. Hans's eyes widened. What? You could do that? Trade children for things? Is that something he needed to be worried about? A wishing box, though. Hans could hear his father smile. Whatever you wanted, it would produce. It is not worth our children, the wife pleaded. The husband said it was a fair market trade, and that was kind of the definition of worth for him who made the deal. Look, they needed money, and he will be real. They could have more kids. Wink. She wasn't seeing the upside of this. She said there was no upside. Her daughters would be taken at the age of three. The farmer clapped. Age of three. That's right. They had almost three years. They had three years and all the money in the world to try to figure out how to outsmart the creature coming for their girls. The mother paced back and forth. She couldn't believe this. She didn't agree to this. She would never agree to this. The father said, sorry, but he kind of already did it. Hans heard him pull something from his coat. There was a silence, then a nearly inaudible sobbing. Here, we'll try it out together. All the mythological dwarfs that I had to do was tap on the top of the box. Here we go. Hans heard two taps, and then the house exploded. A giant shot up and threw the thatch of the roof. What are my lord's commands? The father chuckled nervously, looking around at the rubble of their farmhouse. Uh, well, first wish should probably be a new house. You had one job. The former farmer screamed at the servants, barely three years later. The estate they had all moved into after their liberation from the farmhouse was grand. And that day, they had tried to control every variable. The mythological dwarf that gave them the magic box was, well, magic, 
and he could appear in the night or arrive as a friend or come in the form of one of them or drive directly up the driveway in a carriage. The family breathed a collective sigh. The day they had been dreading for years had come and they would see their way through it. All they had to do? Pretend they weren't home. The father waved to the servants. Get him a drink while he waited. Unfortunately, the servants that did this were the ones on the door. The triplets, the girls, intrigued by a visitor, rushed over to the door and, with one pull of the handle, were outside. The father peeked out the curtain to see if the coast was clear, just in time to see a hand emerge from the carriage and snatch all three girls at once. The father spat his drink and the bottles clambered to the ground as he threw tables and chairs aside, rushing out the door. This is where our scene opened, with the father screaming that they had one job and sprinting after the carriage, but it was futile. His daughters were gone. The mother was never the same after that day. She hadn't forgiven the father. After he returned with the wishing box, having made the pledge, she drifted farther and farther. She stayed in her room with her curtains drawn, day in and day out. Her food returned untouched. No one, sadly, was surprised when her grief finally consumed her. She died from her sorrow. The father, despite all of his bravado and reassurances, first that they could have more children, and then when that, for some reason, didn't help the situation, that they could hold off the mythological dwarf to whom they had promised the girls. The father followed his wife quickly to the grave in sorrow. Hans, now called Silly Hans, because he preferred to live outside rather than in the manner his father had bought with his sister's lives, watched his father drift away as well, blaming himself for the sister's kidnapping. For his wife's death, he spent days in tears and despair until the end finally came for him too. At the age of 14, Silly Hans became the owner of his father's estate and its vast wealth. The 16-year-old Hans heard the pounding at the door. It was the bailiff. The bailiff stroked his beard. He didn't enjoy this. Silly Hans had played with his kids a few years back. It wasn't fair what happened. What with the kidnapping and then his parents, his father should have done more than to leave a 14-year-old in charge. And, well, Hans was losing the house. Hans learned that day that, apparently, taxes exist. Also, a lot of people, namely his father's old steward and several of the servants, were not only taking out staggering loans in his name, but actually taking a lot of money out of the house. Hans slept in the courtyard, and frankly, that day, it was a relief to not have that place anymore. The place bought with his sister's freedom, where his parents had died. If they had stayed in their little farmhouse, it probably would have been difficult, but they would have been together. They would have had each other. I, I'm sorry, I'm here to tell you you own nothing but what you're standing in, the king's bailiff said to him. Hans shrugged and started walking off, but the bailiff caught him with a palm on his chest. Come on, what are you doing? It is Denmark in the fall. 
the bailiff looked over his shoulder, to the men who had already started cataloging the estate's possessions. Take down that he stood in a big fur coat and was holding... The bailiff looked inside and spotted a club, one Hans kept at the ready, in case any burglars came around. A club. The bailiff shook his head and pushed Hans back inside. Go put a coat on. I'm not cold, Hans scoffed. Like every kid you tell to put a coat on. Go put a coat on, the bailiff said. He wasn't asking again. After about 10 minutes of Hans rooting through the rooms of the manor, many of which he never entered, full of riches that cost his family absolutely everything, he found a thick fur coat. He thanked the bailiff with a roll of his eyes and walked off into the forest. Hans's first night in the forest wasn't bad because he was literally sleeping in the dirt. Exposed to the elements, he had hated what his father did and what his family had become after leaving the farmhouse, so he did that kind of a lot. It was bad because, well, he was sleeping on a rock, which was weird because he checked for rocks before he lay down. It wasn't until, rooting through his coat, that he found it. He sneered. It was the box the box the mythological dwarf had given to his father to take his sisters away. He moved to toss it over his head, into the forest, and be rid of it forever, but he remembered something, from almost 10 years ago now. Silly Hans tapped the top of the box. The giant burst through the treetops. The giant scowled and squinted, what are my lord's commands? My father was your lord, I'm my lord. Whoever has the box is my lord the giant said. Oh, and if I get rid of the box? Have you ever been locked in a room for a thousand years? The giant asked. That's what it felt like if the box got lost. Please don't throw out the box. Well, okay, do I have to make a wish? It kind of destroyed my family. Hans shook his head. It's only my sole purpose in life, the giant said. Hans threw up his hands. All right, how about this? He had always wanted to play a fiddle. He would like to make people happy. Maybe even everyone who hears it dances? The giant paused. Yeah, sure. It's just, well, he'd been around like thousands of years. And there was already this other Scandinavian tale about this other guy named Hans who did it to get back at his old employer and made a village dance relentlessly. Silly Hans said no. He wanted to make people happy, not trap them in an endless dance until they did what he wanted. Cool. Okay, the giant said. Just checking that it's not the same story as that one. I'll grant wishes, but I won't do derivative repeats. I'm not a hack. So, Hans got it. He let the giant stay outside of the box while they camped in the forest, and the giant could take the form of a regular person. But the giant ducked back inside when they approached the town. And at that town, and the next, and the one after that, everyone loved Hans. He never had to pay for an inn or food, his music just made people happy. Whenever they were alone, he let the giant out of the box, and sometimes the giant sat on his shoulder and... Really? The giant said. Hans said, what? <laughs> the giant replied, what? Well, they were rounding out, what, was this hour two of Hans just staring at the princess, talking with her maidservants over the wall, going about her day. Hans had climbed a tree and laid there, just staring at her. I'm just gazing at her, Hans said, and the story says, she is beyond beautiful. 
He would be a happy man who could gaze at her every day, Hans said. No, the giant replied. What? I didn't even ask. Hans whisper yelled, Ah, but you knew what I meant. So I'm preempting it. No, I'm not going to do that. It's weird and gross. You need to get someone's consent when you marry them. That's the lowest possible bar. Hans said, fine. He'd find another way. And <gasps> he had it. Sheep. He needed sheep. The giant said, sheep? How did those two things connect? But he was pulled by the movement of the box down the tree into the stables. Now, the prince had earned enough money from his music to be able to afford a herd of sheep and didn't really care about wool or whatever else people got from sheep. You can tell I know about as much as Hans did about keeping a herd, but Hans knew more about making them dance, which he did. His music act became a sideshow, and people came from all around to see the dancing sheep. But Hans never moved from the same spot out in the fields. He didn't tour, he just had his sheep dance there. 7 p.m. every night, and a matinee on Sunday. Eventually, she had to come to him. When she did, Hans shut it down. Everyone turned to one another. What, what was happening? Hans pointed out in the crowd to the cloaked figure flanked by guys in armor. He needed to speak in private with the princess. We'll see how dancing sheep can help you get married, but that will be right after this. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You did what? The king paced back and forth, waving the paper. The princess said what? It was meaningless. You wrote out and signed a paper saying you'd marry him, the king screamed. The princess said it was fine, really. They would have had a minor revolt on their hands at the show, and he wouldn't have made the sheep dance. The king said he had no context for whatever that meant, but it didn't matter. You don't do that. Why didn't you just do a verbal agreement? She said he wouldn't take it. What did it matter? It was just a peasant. The king read it over. What he didn't get was why she wrote it out and signed it. He probably couldn't even read. She could have written anything. The king's shoulders dropped. She had to do it. What? The princess barked. Yeah, he came to my court. He lodged it with my judges. You weren't forced into this. It's in your own handwriting, and a hundred people saw you do it at the show thing, whatever, with the sheep. The laws are laws. Even I'm not above them, the king frowned. Yes, yes, you are. That's what absolute monarchy means, the princess screamed. But her father wouldn't hear it. If their own decrees were invalid, then why should the people listen to anything, he said. All the people with weapons willing to do violence on your behalf, she replied. He breathed deeply. He was so sorry. 
she had to marry Hans. Oh, so I set this up and I'm not invited to the wedding, the giant said, emerging from the box. You didn't set it up. You wanted nothing to do with it. Besides, you're going to be working, Hans said, adjusting his suit. It was the big day. I need a castle. My wife is used to the best. I need a magnificent castle not two miles from here. Golden carriage, footmen, a coachman. Has to be better than the king's. And the king's jaw nearly fell off when he saw the carriage. But what? How? The kid was just a peasant, right? He smacked his daughter on the back. All right. Okay. His girl did all right. Hey, so they made us dinner? Hans knocked on the door to his wife's wing of the palace. I already ate, he heard through the door. He said, okay, he could wait. He was wondering if maybe she wanted to spend a little time together today? No, no thanks, the princess replied. I told you, the giant said. She'll come around, Hans said. She just needs to get used to the place. She'll... She'll like me. Yeah, just keep telling yourself that, the giant replied. Hans did keep telling himself that. It didn't do anything. He realized just how bad things had gotten when he had to have the house guard drag his wife kicking and shouting from her quarters for a concert. He thought playing for her would make her smile, but he couldn't even bring himself to do that. He told her if she wanted to go back to her room, he wouldn't blame her. She left immediately without hearing the music, and Hans threw his fiddle against the wall. Then, one afternoon, about a week after that, when Hans returned from hunting, he did the usual, knocking on the princess's door, but she answered this time. He almost didn't know what to say, but would she like to have dinner with him? She said she would love to. Could Bjorn come too? Hans said, of course, wait, who? It was Bjorn. She sent a messenger after him to catch Bjorn before he got too far away. He was a knight who had worked in the service of the princess's father. He stopped by one morning because he was riding by, and he and the princess had spent the last week together. Hans didn't quite know how to take this. On one hand, what the heck? On the other, his wife didn't seem to actively despise him as much and she and Bjorn didn't seem to have a romantic relationship, so... okay? And things got better after that. Bjorn rode home in the afternoons, and the princess took to waiting for her husband in the courtyard, greeting him with open arms. She said speaking with Bjorn had helped her to arrive at the conclusion that she was lucky. Here she was, living in a mansion with a kind man who only forced her into marriage via trickery and not violence or political power plays. He took care of all they needed, and (laughs) he wasn't bad looking, either, she winked. Hans felt his face grow warm and waved. Oh, you. They should go get dinner. This continued on for another week, until one day the princess asked, Hey, she noticed that they had all this money, but didn't seem to have any income, and... He didn't come from any family that she knew. How did they have all this money? 
Hans, knowing that he could trust his wife with whom he had recently reconnected, or connected, brought the box out from his coat. The princess took it in stride. Oh, cool. She kissed Hans, and he left that day hunting with the box in his pocket. It was weeks before the princess brought it up again. Hey, she had been thinking, wasn't it kind of dangerous to always keep the box on him? Like, what if he was robbed in the forest? He should leave it in the palace. For safekeeping, of course. Hans thought about it and agreed. Yeah, that sounded reasonable. Sure. He handed the princess the box and left hunting. The cavalier, the knight, Bjorn, tapped the top of the box. The giant emerged. Bjorn paced the yard, hands behind his back and addressing the giant. I know you probably have some loyalty to your old master, so you... Nope, the giant nodded. So, wait, really? Bjorn said. The giant said, yeah, really. He had lived for like 3,000 years. He had served so many people. You all run together. He truly did not care. But you helped him marry me against my will, the princess cried out. The giant held up his hands. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was Hans. The giant told him it was creepy and gross. The giant crossed his arms and tapped his foot. Now, what did the knight want? The giant didn't have all day. (laughs) He laughed. He was just kidding. He had literally all of eternity he was trapped in a box. The wish was, of course, that it was moving day. Hang the castle that the giant had made over the Red Sea with four chains. Hans was fewer than two miles from the capital, where he forced his wife into marriage. He had been traveling these woods for, at the very least, months. The only thing I can guess was that he was relying on the magical being in his pocket for turn-by-turn directions back home each day, because there's no other way, in just a couple of miles from home, you would get so lost that you're starving. But Hans was. He walked past the area where he could have sworn his castle was, and just kept walking, I guess, assuming that it had to be there somewhere. By the time he was crawling up to a cave, starving, he knew he had made a severely wrong turn. The young woman found him and dragged him inside. Hans awoke to the words, Good afternoon, brother, and his eyes snapped open. He sat up and looked at the girl, cooking some vegetables by a small fire in the cave. He asked how this could be. His sisters had been taken when they were three. She smiled and embraced him. She had been taken when she was three. She had a brother named Hans. The look on his face reminded her of a boy she barely remembered, of parents, whose cries she heard in her dreams. She had been taken by the mythological dwarf, but some other things had happened in the time since, and her husband would be back soon. Hans said, but they were three when they were taken. With some basic math, it had been long enough, the sister said, let's just say enough time has passed and leave it at that. We're all adults now. Sure, right? The brother agreed to not think too much about it, but husband? The sister said, yeah. She was married to a bear. Hans said, okay, that's confusing. Why? The sister heard a stick break off in the forest. Oh, oh no. Hans needed to leave. Now. 
Hans said he was exhausted. He couldn't even walk. The sister looked from side to side. Shoot, okay. She helped him to the back of the cave, and he hid under a refuse pile of old bones and rotting meat. Hey, babe, the bear said as he lumbered in and kissed his wife. Uh, I'm just gonna, like, come out and say it. Is there a human here? You're looking at her, she smiled nervously. The bear sniffed the air. It just seemed like there was a human here. She said they were miles from any human civilization, and he said Bear's sense of smell was measured in miles, but okay, he would choose to trust her on that. He brought dinner. He slammed down the giant fish. Oh, great. Raw salmon. Again. We'll see that Hans is about as good at being sneaky as he is at finding his way in the woods, but that will, once again, be read after this. Oh, he slides off his bear skin each night and becomes an attractive young man, Hans whispered to himself in the refuse pile. Is... There's a guy back there, right? The bear prince said to the sister. She said, yes. Hans, we could hear you. You're not really even whispering. Hans emerged from the garbage. Hey. Hey, the bear prince waved. He put on a robe that wasn't bear skin because he only got like a few hours out of that each night. Hey, thanks for the compliment, the bear prince said. He said he totally knew Hans was there anyway. A bear's sense of smell is about 20 times better than even a dog's. It is wild how much gross stuff he could smell. They could both smell Hans, though, as he walked up to the pile of hay they slept on. So, it was like a curse? The bear prince nodded. Yep, Hans snapped his finger. Ah, if he still had his giant. That sounds like a genie, the bear prince and the sister agreed. Hans said no, it was a giant who had to grant his wishes and who lived in a small box and could magically change size and had complete power and yeah, as he was saying it out loud, it really was just ripping off a genie. The bear prince nodded, okay. He would help Hans leave. Hans said that he was still tired though. My wife and I, your adult sister, get like so little time together when I'm not an actual animal each night. Also, if I transform back into a bear and you're not far enough away, I will find you and destroy you. I don't want to, but if I can smell you, it's happening. It took everything I had not to maul you over there in the garbage, so, you know, let's go. They did go. Together, they walked to the edge of the bear prince's lands, and he told Hans that if the man kept walking, he would be safe by morning. If he walked further, up into the mountains, he would run into his next sister. Hans said... He felt for the bear prince. Was there anything he could do to help lift the curse? It had to be terrible to be a bear and... Wait, he stopped. His other sisters? The bear prince said yes. His other sisters lived in these lands. And when it came to the curse, all Hans needed was this. Hans squinted in the lantern light. Um, I'm sorry, what was that? The bear prince said it was one hair. A solitary hair. A bear hair. Bear. The bear prince said that when the time was right, Hans would know what to do. But for now, he just needed to keep track of that single hair and not lose it, because the hope of both the bear prince and all Hans' sisters hung by it. 
Hans said goodbye to the brother-in-law he just met and made his way deeper into the mountains to avoid being eaten by the brother-in-law he just met. Yeah, so I met my other sister and my other brother-in-law. He was an eagle. I got to ride on his back like Bilbo. It was fun. He gave me a feather, Hans said to his third sister and her sea monster husband. It's been so great of you to help me out here, Hans said. But he really should be getting home. But I thought your home disappeared and your genie, I'm sorry, your giant, was stolen, the sea monster said in his watery Dr. Zoidberg-like speech and... I know I've been doing more voices lately, but I'm not nearly that confident. You're just going to have to imagine it. Hans said, yeah. He needed to go find his wife and Bjorn. The sea monster said that while they were on the subject, he did, actually, remember seeing a castle like the one Hans described. It was in the Red Sea. Well, above it. Cut to them in the water below the castle, suspended from the sky with chains. The sea monster winced as he plucked a scale from the back of his neck. He told Hans after everything was settled, he needed to use that to lift the curse. Hans said, yeah, how was he supposed to do that, by the way? The sea monster groaned. He imagined his brothers were relying on him for the big reveal. He shook his scaly, slimy head, always making him do all the work. Yes, Hans should take the scale, the hair, and the feather to the fountain of the waters of life. There, he will be able to free everyone. The sea monster looked up. All right, it was about 10 stories up to the castle. Did Hans want to be thrown or ride a jet of water up from his mouth? Hans looked at his brother's sea-green teeth while he grinned. Uh, he'd take his chances with being thrown. A hundred feet, and a thumbs up later, and Hans was on the lowest balcony of the castle, and the sea monster brother-in-law was swimming away. He looked at the castle ahead. The quest music started playing. The box with the giant would be, no doubt, in the highest room with his treacherous wife and the evil knight. Together, they would fight an epic ba- Hey, John, the giant said. Hans spun to see the giant standing there, smiling, box in hand. It's Hans? You really don't remember? Hans, John, Ivan, they're all variations of the same name, just stock hero character. The giant nodded. You betrayed me. Ugh, you're being too sensitive. I just moved your house. I did tell you not to force her into marriage, though. That's on you. It's nice here. Warm. They let me just walk around. It's fun. They kind of need me out all the time, though, because my magic keeps this castle from falling into the sea. It's just attached to the sky. Hans reached forward and tapped the box in the giant's hands. The giant looked at the box and looked at Hans. Wait. His shoulders slumped. He groaned. What are my lord's commands today? Hans's epic revenge was not going well. He locked himself in the bathroom, crying. Hans thought his anger would outweigh his love, but when he saw his wife and the knight in bed, slumbering in each other's arms, he couldn't take it. He ran into the bathroom, slammed the door, and started weeping. Hans? He heard from the outside. No, Hans blurted, occupied. 
Go get the giant, quick, the woman said on the other side of the door. I'm in here too, hey? He found me on one of my walks, the giant called back. There was silence. Hans, please don't. Please don't make us go back. It's not that I don't love you. It's, well, no, I don't. I hate you, actually, for forcing me into marriage. But I also know that you deserve more than a wife who hates you, and I deserve more than to be with someone I actively despise. Hans thought about it. She was right. They shouldn't be together. There was only one way out of this. He turned to the giant. He wanted to forget all about her. If he didn't know her, he couldn't love her. And if he didn't love her, he wouldn't hurt like this, and maybe he could move on. The giant bobbed his head back and forth. But you know what? Yeah, that worked. He would wash the man's mind clean of her. It would be a spotless mind. It would just be eternal sunshine after that, wink. Hans said that that was a weird way to put that, but okay. He took a deep breath. Princess, I love you, Hans said through the door. I know, she said back. Hans turned to the giant. He was ready. The giant cracked his knuckles. All right, one mind wipe of the last six months. Princess and everything associated with her. Hans nodded. And in the millisecond before the giant's finger touched his forehead, his eyes widened. (gasps) Wait! Hans yawned, and he woke up in his bed. Wow, he felt amazing. It was like he had been asleep for a week. He stretched and rose, walking around the house. Hey, 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 giant? Hans called out, looking for his giant. This is not my beautiful house. I wake up, and I ask myself, well, how did I get here? The giant appeared. Oh, yeah, that's right. This was a little after. Uh, Hans asked him to make the house. Hans didn't remember? Oh, weird. Hans shrugged. Well, cool. He was going to go off hunting, as he did every day. Things were the same, right? Same as it ever was. The giant smiled. It worked. And it did for three years. Hans lived his life just like he had before he met the princess, traveling around hunting and walking the wilds by day and sleeping in the castle at night. Hans kept the box on him and... One day, while he was out hunting, he went through his bag. Oh, hey, a letter came from the palace, just like two miles away. A princess there was getting married to some knight. Hans tore open the letter. Huh, Bjorn and her... Wait, why did those names sound so familiar? He gasped. The giant rushed to his side, held out a finger, and touched Hans' forehead. Oh, boop, no need to remember that. He snatched the letter before Hans came out of the trance. Hans shook his head. What was he talking about? Oh, what's that? Pointed to the letter. Junk mail, don't worry about it. You were rooting through your bag for ammunition? Hans nodded. That's right. He rooted through his bag and sliced his finger a bit. He pulled out a scale. Why did he have a big scale in his bag? And a feather? And he remembered every, well, not, no, not everything. According to the calendars, he still lost about six months somehow but he remembered some things. He had to get to the fountain of the waters of life. In a second, Hans popped into the deepest valley under the highest mountain. A white-haired woman sat with a cat by the fountain in ragged clothes. When she spotted Hans, she rushed over to him. 
Has time come to an end? Or is the hour come when I and my children are to be freed from our hard bondage? The woman said, gripping Hans's hands. Hans replied, uh, what? The latter, I guess, Hans said, and dug out the scale, the hair, and the feather. Did these have something to do with all those words she just said? The woman took them and, dipping them in the water of life, the mountain above them burst asunder and crumbled. The ground beneath them rumbled toward the sky, and a castle grew up around them. The years fell away from the queen, and the cat grew into a human princess about Hans's age. I'm sorry, what is going on? Hans was still very confused. The story was this. The mythological dwarf had kept them all captive there. The queen and her children, for whatever reason he had for them, then he went and traded the giant in the box for the three girls, who he was going to, quote, keep for himself. I don't know what's going on with that sentence. Frankly, there's no way of trying to parse that out. That makes the captor look anything but reprehensible, so we're just going to move on. Anyway, they grew up in captivity, into their teen years, the three princes and the kidnapped triplets, and they fell in love. They came up with a plan and escaped. Well, the mythological dwarf caught up to them and transformed them all into their respective animals. He transformed the mother and the remaining princess and left them both as captives. The triplets stayed with their husbands, see stink and all, out of love. And the only way to break the curse was to bring mom the feather, the hair, and the scale. The newly restored bear prince clasped his brother-in-law on the shoulder. Oh, hey, how'd things go with your wife? The giant's eyes grew wide and he stepped forward. Ah, well, up Hans here, so mad that he had me throw them up into the sky and they didn't come down except in tiny pieces. The couples shook their head. Ugh, dark stuff. Hans turned. Wait, he was married? Yeah, it didn't work out. You asked me not to tell you because of all the anger. You didn't like that side of yourself. Hans shook his head. He really didn't remember. Weird. And real quickly, I read two versions of the story, one where Hans does indeed let it go and returns to the forest, the other where he does quite the opposite and has the giant bring them so high up in the sky that they don't land in one place, but many. Hans does miraculously forget about the scale and the feather and hair and all that, so I kind of rolled all those things into the story you heard here. No surprise, but Hans did remarry. He and the princess, the cat princess, hit it off. I guess she had been a cat, so she knew the value of independence, and they both had their space. They lived in that palace, in the faraway land, and for the first time since back at the farm, Hans had a home. He had a family. But there was one thing left to do. He told the giant to get in his box, and Hans rode alone out to a small campsite on a beautiful countryside just before sunset. He tapped on the box. What are my lord's commands? The giant bellowed. Hans waited a moment and then said, I command you to tell me how to free you. The giant's smile disappeared, but Hans would have no one looking out for him. I have everything thanks to you, Hans said with a smile. He said he was lost when his sisters were taken and his parents died. He was in a bad place and even he didn't know it. The giant helped him find himself. Now, he wanted to help the giant. The giant had tears in his eyes. 
he embraced Hans. He was so sorry about all the terrible things he said about Hans to his ex-wife. Hans looked up. What? what? Oh, uh, boop, nothing, the giant said. Hans shook his head. What was he saying? Oh yeah, freedom. The giant said it was simple. Take the box and throw it in the fire. Hans didn't know if that meant if the box was destroyed by fire accidentally, that would do anything, or if it had to be a willful act by the master of the box. Regardless, he walked over and placed it on the fire. After he placed it, and the box was beginning to catch, Hans sat back down, and the giant sat next to him. Hans and the giant watched the sunset in silence, until the giant took a deep breath. I have been waiting thousands of years for this. You, Hans, are the best master I have ever had, the giant said. Hans smiled. He would be more honored if the giant would call him friend. The giant put an arm around his friend. When the box was ash, the giant stood. He held up his hands, and it looked like he was feeling the wind on his skin for the first time in millennia. He took a deep breath, and he started to dissolve. Hans was alarmed at first, but saw that his friend wasn't. The giant was happy, at peace. The giant turned to dust, swirling on the wind, but Hans knew that somehow, somewhere, the giant wasn't dead, just different. That he had become something more, and that he would always be watching over Hans, the princess, and their children, his friends, for as long as they lived. That's it for this week's story. It does end on a nice note, but I was a little bummed that the mythological dwarf didn't have to answer for his crimes, but, you know, I guess everything was mostly okay in the end. Next week, it's a few stories from Korean folklore. I want to say thanks to everyone who got a membership last week. That was really cool of you. Thank you. Like I said, there are almost 90 member episodes available now for download immediately, plus over 400 ad-free Myths and Legends episodes, all for less than the price of a condiment bottle topper that looks like a little pooping guy. But unlike that, you probably won't get a lot of weird looks at cookouts if you bring the member episodes. Check out mythpodcast.com slash membership for more info on the membership. A Breton creature from France. You're walking alone at night down by the river. It's completely dark and you hear someone splashing. You decide, rightly, to nope on out of there because you listen to this podcast. But then a voice calls out to you asking you for help with laundry. Well, what do you do? Well, my classic advice, like I just said, is run very far, very fast. Not this time, though, because if you don't help the Canadas, the phantom washerwoman, wring out her sheet, she'll decide to wring you out. So, make your way over and say yes. You'd love to, but, and this is the key, don't. So, I'll be real. I had a tactic when I was a kid, and I know my mom only listens to some of these, so I'm really rolling the dice here. But if I didn't want to learn something or I was just being lazy, well, if it's so much more difficult to teach me how to do my own laundry than it is to just do the laundry, if I just 
can't seem to get it, then I don't have to do it. Sorry, Mom. That's the way you need to go with the Phantom Washerwoman. According to a book on Celtic folklore published in 1911, linked in the show notes, you need to wring out sheets in the same direction as the Washerwoman. You might be thinking, that's not how you wring out sheets, that's just slowly rotating sheets. Well, yes, you be right. Eventually, though, she'll become so exasperated that she just does it all herself because she has a lot to do that night and you clearly aren't getting it. She'll dismiss you and get back to work. If, on the other hand, you are helpful and wring out the sheet, well, your arm and self will go with it, and you won't be the one leaving, but she will. You see, she was cursed to wash clothes for a century, unless she could find a sap to wring out a sheet. You might be mad, left splashing in the river yourself, having to do laundry for a hundred years, thinking that what she did was unforgivable, until you hear a traveler in the night and beckon them on over because you just need a little help with your laundry. That's it for this time. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>